0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Blake Neiman and Chris Cartman here with you on 2024 National Signing Day. Bit of a quieter day for the Sun Devils, but they still picked up a signee in the number seven available prospect coming into the day in Tyann McDonald um, out of Seattle and also picked up a transfer in Jalen Clem, uh, ASU, already with 39 total players so far, during this uh, during this period, uh, that are on scholarship, twenty-two of them from Division One transfers, and seventeen of them were high school signees during the early signing period. Chris wouldn't have expected it to be an aggressive day because there really is only so many spots available on the scholarship roster.
1: Yeah, exactly as you said there, Blake. Um, ASU already had thirty-nine scholarship players committed uh, as newcomers going into today. So that, uh, McDonald signing is, he's the 40th. Uh, you only have, um, maybe five, four or five other schools in the country that have, uh, 40 committed scholarship newcomers to the rosters. Um, it historically, I've been doing this for 20 years now covering ASU and, um, February was always like the big date the, for the signing day in February. But then when they started having the early signing period, whenever that was half dozen or so years ago, that became more important and then bigger in December than the February signing period. And now with the the first transfer portal window be, being so big from the conclusion of the season until players are enrolled in classes in January, um, the the February signing period has become ex- extreme afterthought. Like it's just this very, you know, relatively small thing, particularly when um, you're so invested in the transfer portal as ASU has been, as you've said there. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of work to do for the Sun Devils because, They already filled up their spots. They're um, sitting on more than the 85 limit uh, projected to the roster. So they're actually going to have to lose uh, more than they gain. uh, I would say not a lot. I think they only have, they have 86, I think committed. So they're going to have to lose one or two or three spots more than they gain um, moving forward. But they uh, also the positive, aspect of having a lot of that solidified before you get even to the February signing period is you've already shored up a lot of your vulnerabilities with your roster from a position standpoint. So they uh, have a, a a team that is able to be easily sort of evaluated right now, uh, even before adding these February guys or, or players beyond that. And coming in today,
0: 39 total scholarship players added as newcomers this year. That's quite a bit. And now the 40th with McDonald today, that makes ASU one of five power four schools that have had 40 or more projected new scholarship players to their 2024 roster. And now over the two class period of Kenny Dillingham era, which has been around 14 months now has added 90 new scholarship players, which is more than any other Power 5 school. 50 last year was second to only Colorado, who had a big overhaul with the Deion Sanders. Just now looking at it to where they stand in terms of the rankings as to the rest of the conference in their new conference in the Big 12 and just overall. They're 21st nationally in the transfer portal rankings, dropping from 19th when they entered today, 43rd overall. Um, among transfers and recruiting, and then 49th among recruits in the composite rankings. Um, just looking at it, they in the Big 12 and where they stand there. They're currently fourth in the transfer portal among the Big 12, uh, seventh in recruiting, and sixth overall. Chris, is this where you expect ASU to be as far as where they are aligned with their new conference, um, and how do you feel they they match up with the rest of the country in recruiting so far?
1: Yeah, that's uh, a lot to unpack if we were really to get into all those uh, facets of the questions. Uh, Basically, um, their transfer portal class for the second year in a row is pretty strong. Um, It's rated a little bit worse than last year when they finished 15th, primarily because last year they added um, about eight or nine more uh, transfers. The overall average caliber of the recruit in this transfer portal class is actually higher than it was a year ago, but because they have that reduced overall number, um, their ranking isn't as high. They didn't um, get a bunch of four-star transfers. If you look across the country, there's 10 to maybe 13 or 14 schools that added at least several um, four-star transfers. Um, ASU added, I would say, two sort of really highly regarded guys. Rayleek Brown, the running back from USC, and Cole Martin, who's the defensive back from Oregon. And then uh, there's a, a, another tier below that that includes Sam Levitt, the quarterback transfer from Michigan State, and some other players that ASU has added who should be um, immediately in contention for starting roles. Um, the, the, the high school recruiting class I would say they did an average to maybe a little above average job with. Um, it's important to keep in mind that um, they were still behind on this high school class relative to their peers. The reason is because when you are hired, um, you're, you just start to recruit a lot of guys that the other staffs that you're competing with had already offered scholarships to some months or even years in some cases earlier on and had been developing those relationships. Um, And then the other thing that's important is that the NIL support for ASU uh, is not comparable to most of the top 20 something schools in the country, if not 30 or more. And uh, there's really no money that's being spent from an NIL standpoint on the high school recruiting portion of or even junior college of asu's class and that's definitely not the case at other schools around the country where some of your more prominent four-star and then obviously all five-star prospects for the most part are 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 actually going to be making a significant amount of money uh in their first year on these college campuses now Dillingham did work really hard at trying to boost ASU's NIL profile and booster support, which did impact the transfer class to a large degree. A lot of these new transfers are going to be making money. Um, They wouldn't have picked ASU if not for that ability. Um, But in totality, there still is quite a bit more work to be done from a high school recruiting standpoint to to attain the top sort of tier status in the big 12 is what I I would say. You look at around the conference and there's no doubt that some of these other schools, uh, Colorado, uh, Texas Tech, um, TCU, um, and and maybe even like a couple others are uh, UCF, even potentially are operating with a little bit more of an Nil resource standpoint, Kansas potentially than ASU is. But that even that being said, when you look at the the traditional recruiting, what you what you refer to as just recruiting, that's uh, high school and junior college. If you look at the fusion of that plus the transfer portal, in what you described as the the correctly as the overall uh, situation, ASU in that category um, is even though it's sixth, it's very close to at least, I would say three of the other teams ahead of ASU. Like uh, y- Utah and ASU are pretty much neck and neck as a comparison and people understand Utah has been extremely successful in recent years in football and also has some really good inherent advantages with the, the Polynesian community in, in Utah, and really more broadly than that. Um, TCU has a lot of really good sort of advantages and is, is in third place. The Colorado and Texas tech, they seem to be operating at a little bit of a higher level than ASU from an NIL standpoint. Uh, and that you see that translating from a, rec- from a recruiting uh, uh, standpoint. So, um, but there's really nothing that we're seeing here, Blake. People are starting to calibrate to the big 12. Schedules out, getting a sense about recruiting where ASU f- is in the hierarchy of all these things. There's really nothing that we're seeing that um, would uh make me think that asu can't be competitive with the very top schools and that's super important to underline here because in no world was when asu was in the the pac-12 in no world was asu going to be able to be competitive with usc or oregon and really even with washington hard-pressed and ucla when it's recruiting at a better level than what Chip Kelly has been able to do, because for whatever reason, he doesn't really recruit that much. Even UCLA had inherent advantages over ASU. So really, in the entirety of me following recruiting, ASU was always going to be like at best third or fourth in the Pac-12 and more likely somewhere in like the five, six range quite often if those other schools were really operating at a high level. And ASU in the Big 12 really should never struggle to be less than what it was on average in the Pac-12. And in many cases, if if things are going well, it actually has a higher ceiling in an uh, apples-to-apples comparison of talent on rosters. So that's one of the reasons I think that in the grand scheme of things, the potential for ASU in the big 12 is actually maybe a little bit better than the potential for ASU uh, in the PAC 12 from a talent relative standpoint. Yeah, that's such an interesting
0: point there. Just thinking about the roster construction for ASU PAC 12 versus big 12 now, and how that can stack up with a, different level of conference competition but looking you talk about that talented roster and ASU with 90 new scholarship players over the past two seasons and since that 2022 team uh, only 11 players remain on scholarship from that 2022 team that was prior to Dillingham's arrival and now there's seven seniors um, there now so what does that kind of indicate as far as the roster structure
1: of ASU at this time Main thing is uh, how barren that the cupboard was that Kenny Dillingham inherited when he arrived at ASU. Like the guy was trying to find the ingredients that he needed to put together the menu that he wanted to offer ASU fans. And he started going through the cabinets and there was nothing there basically. And that's because the prior staff had not done any shopping uh, and not even really cleaned its kitchen for like a period of two years. And so um, the reality is that's why they had to go out and add 90 scholarship players more than any other school in the last 14, 15 months. Um, Colorado is the only team that's really comparably close. And that also was a complete overhaul really in what Deion Sanders did there. Um, really important to say that none of this would have even been possible if not for an NCAA rule change that went into effect prior to the last recruiting cycle. And then it was temporary, but then it was made permanent that um, removed the restriction on an ability to enroll only 25 new scholarship players in any given year. So prior to a year ago, ASU would have only been able to add 50 players in a period of time in which it was able to actually add 90 new players. So what that does is it afforded Dillingham the ability to expedite his roster rebuild and turnover by getting talent that wasn't able to compete successfully in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 off of its roster. And so... It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a multi-year rebuild because it is, but it probably would have been a four or a five-year process that now can be more like a three-year process, maybe even a little bit better than that if they get good quarterback play and good offensive line play, I would say, this year from the players that they have on their roster
0: kind of digging deep into the positional groups uh, and focusing in. Uh, more on the scopes of the roster. Uh, Offensively, we knew the big roster need for ASU was going to be offensive line after the injuries and kind of the whirlwind mess that was last season on the offensive line. And then defensively, we knew there were some immediate needs with some experience leaving. um, BJ Green transferring to Washington, now Colorado, um, from the defensive line. And then uh, at linebacker, we knew that was a need after Trey Brown, kind of the Mike backer, um, uh, was graduating. So uh, how do you think they've done those areas and addressing those needs um in those in those areas
1: yeah they've done pretty well um i I would say getting this addition of Jalen clem um that takes this class from being in my opinion like a b minus or a b and it moves it to like a b b plus uh maybe even an a minus we'll have to kind of see how some of these guys look in spring ball but they've added four division one transfer offensive linemen at a major need area as we've talked about quite extensively uh jaylen Klent has the ability to compete at left tackle with josh atkins who started for hawaii at left tackle last year and with bram walden who uh transferred from morgan to asu last year and played a lot and even started at left tackle um and that gives you a pretty good overall situation at that position when you're bookending that against Emmett Boley and Max Ihanachor at right tackle both of whom started Ihanachor maybe the most improved offensive lineman on the team from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and then they added uh Ese Matautia at uh right guard he was a 20 game starter uh at at New Mexico so he has a chance to abil- uh, immediately play right, right guard, potentially. Remember Ben Coleman had an Achilles tear suffered almost a year ago that kept him out all last season. He would have probably been the left guard starter. And they also have Cade Briggs back. He played last year with a meniscus tear, but he's started and played extensively all across the line and is a very good option at either backup center behind Lee Fautanu ASU's best offensive lineman who's returning and, or playing at guard. Um, So you look across you know, that doesn't even mention that they also got Joey Sua from Arkansas, and it doesn't mention that they got um, a high school linemen that they're adding who they can get, you know, depth from and sort of develop over a period of time. Champ Westbrooks, Simisi Tonga, Terrell Kim. Uh, three guys that they added and they got there's more size we've talked about this a lot part of this is the polynesian pipeline factor but four of these guys that they've added are over well over 310 pounds some of them over 340 pounds and asu only has five returning players over 310 pounds so the overall size of this group is, is getting better so then you look at their tight end situation of course. Um they lost three players, including Jalen Conyers, to transfer to Texas Tech. Part of that's the NIL factor that I talked about earlier, and but they've added via transfer uh, two guys who are experienced: Marcus and Douglas, Cameron Harpole, Florida State and San Diego State. Uh, Harpole was a starter. Douglas was a top backup, played a lot for Mike Norvell. Same system, exactly, almost as. What ASU uses with Dillingham. So he should have an immediate adjustment that's a lot more seamless. And then um, Jaden Fortier, the tight end uh, um, signee, um, very high profile uh, running back, didn't need much or it talked about their addition of Rayleigh Brown. They also signed Jason Brown. Uh, he was a Max Preps first team All American, super high uh, profile, prolific uh, uh, producer uh at the high school level and you look at their quarterback situation already talked about sam levitt he's going to compete with Jaden rashad and then you also have Trent borgay back so you have a pretty solid situation with three legitimate options there Um, uh, wide receiver that's where they didn't really need that much remember um elijah badger decided that he was going to stay at asu at least the spring jake smith didn't even play last year would have been one of their better receivers they have Melquan Stovall also coming back. They have Troy O'Meary also coming back, and they have Jordan Tyson, who uh, had basically a year-long recovery process from a, uh, a serious leg injury that that happened in November of twenty twenty-two. So they are in are, are in a good situation there. They could they could use a little bit more depth at quarterback, at tight end, even maybe a spot or two at offensive line. But they are in, I would say, relatively good position overall. They have um, a lot of upperclassmen at a lot of these positions. You just go down the list. They have three or four upperclassmen running backs. They have three tight ends who are upperclassmen. They have like five receivers who are upperclassmen, and then they will play roughly eight or nine upperclassmen offensive linemen plus Sean Na'a, who's a promising um, sophomore, right? So a lot of experience and they'll probably will still add one or two players um, in spots in the spring period, the spring transfer window. Like they might, they could probably use another inline and or developmental tight end for example and if they find a really good player somewhere else that could help them immediately uh or be a developmental depth option they probably will also do that as well.
0: Yeah and then focusing on the the defensive side as well we knew they needed some linebackers they went out and got some in the portal Jordan Crook um, from the SEC they got San Diego State's team MVP um, they got some additional edge rushers as well. in Roman Petrie from the big 10, they got quite a few pieces from some power conferences and then uh, added some more on the defensive line through both recruitment uh, and in the portal, JP Dieter on the defensive line as well from Purdue. Um, so how do you feel about the new transfers they've gotten in those areas and uh, some of the recruits they they picked up on as well?
1: Yeah, they have significantly bolstered their numbers across their defense. They actually at this point have as many or more defensive scholarship players as you would want to have going into a year um and especially they probably have uh too many defensive linemen overall if we're being uh you know really uh clear-eyed about this like they have 21 scholarship defensive linemen committed to 2024 and while that's the position group that you would want to have the most depth at because you play more from a rotational standpoint and you need guys to be developing, um, that number probably should be more like 16 or 17. So they're sitting on four or five more defensive linemen than even they probably need to have in any given year. And I I, I sort of suspect that if there's attrition post spring, this is the most likely area that you would have some of that attrition take place because well the reality is is only maybe half of these guys are going to be in the mix for two deep spots playing other guys they're going to see that they're not going to be in the two deep and they might decide they want to look for an opportunity elsewhere um but i do think just going by each position group that they didn't have enough depth with their defensive front last year, which would contributed to them wearing down in the last few games of the season. And you're not going to really have that problem this year because what they've done is they've added enough interior uh, um, talent that they're going to be able to move Anthony Cooper back outside to end as a heavier end to play behind There are two sort of rush-end players that are pretty impressive, Prince Dorba and Clayton Smith. So those guys can remain as starters. Now you have Anthony Cooper, who can service more of like a B.J. Green role where he's moving in and out. And then you also have uh, some some guys that I think have developed well in the last year or so. Elijah O'Neal in particular is a solid, uh, versatile kind of an end. And then Garen Stansbury is a bigger end. Uh, that can hold up a little bit more at the point of attack against teams that maybe run the ball more, uh, things of that nature. And then on the interior, you know, Deshaun Mallory was so good last year and CJ fight was good for a freshman Anthony Cooper, but they still didn't have enough players. And so what they've done this year, when they added Jacob Kungaika from Arizona, Justin Woodley from Cincinnati and uh, Jeff Clark from uh, Louisville uh, and then on top of that, J.P. Dieter, um, they you're, you're starting to layer in a lot more options. And so what that gives you is the ability to rotate more, keep guys fresh. Do you have anybody that is going to be as good as Mallory? Nah, maybe not. Maybe not. He ended up being a really great player for them. If anybody could do that, it might be Jeff Clark, uh, who was at Louisville. But really what matters is, is are you better over a hundred percent of your snaps than you were a year ago? And I think the answer to that question, it could possibly be yes, because of this, this depth that you have now have and the versatility of what that allows. And then having De'Ron Reynolds as your defensive line coach, extremely well-regarded great um, uh, orchestrator of a lot of their pass rush uh, a capability of the stunts and, and, and pressures that you, that you put into your package. And then also he's renowned from a developmental standpoint, a lot of NFL players pay to actually work with him in the off season. So um, that I think is, is overall promising, especially as I said, because you get Dorba and Clayton Smith back as these pass rushers, then at linebacker, I feel like while yes, they lost an alpha guy who understood their scheme and Trey Brown, what you're getting with Zyrus Fiasu, who was San Diego State's team MVP as a sophomore, which is mind blowing that he was their team and defensive MVP and tie for tackles leader as a sophomore. And then on top of that, you have from a 10 win New Mexico State team, you have um, uh, Keyshawn Elliott who looks, he really looks the part. Like this is a guy who is maybe one of the best on the hoof looking linebackers that they've had in recent years at 63-ish, 228 pounds, really lean and fit and a good athlete. And he had 110 or 111 tackles last year for a very good team on top of Jordan Crook, who comes from Arkansas and is a better athlete than the guys that they've had in that group. And then Caleb McCullough was maybe ASU's most improved defensive player last year overall. So now you look at that plus Tate Romney and you go, oh, okay, we got five guys that are actually like legitimate options here at linebacker. They, they only have eight players in the group, but because of the fact that they have five that you can kind of legitimately rely upon, that's in a pretty good shape. And then at, in, in, in the secondary, even though you have some, some obvious key losses there, right, I think they've, I think that what they've done from a replacement standpoint for an outgoing real Torrance, for an outgoing Jordan Clark, Clark uh, for what you lose at the safety position, I think they look uh, remarkably good because of course you return Shamari Simmons, who was your, your MVP last year, but then now you also have miles rouser at safety. You have Xavion offered who couldn't play last year at safety. You have Kamari Wilson from Florida, who was a former highly regarded, like a top 100 level recruit at safety. I mentioned earlier, you have Cole Martin. I really feel like if either Martin or maybe Shamari Simmons can play nickel, even at a equivalent or better level than what Jordan Clark provided last year. And then you have Ed Woods back at corner. Um, they, they, I think that what they lost at corner should be equivalently replaced, if not maybe a little bit better replaced by what they got from the Terrence Welch from LSU. And then also what they got from Javon Robinson, who was at Washington State as their number three corner. And he's extremely well-versed in this scheme because he coached and played under Brian Ward when he was at Washington State. Um, They have 15 or 16, actually, I should say, uh, safeties and corners. And um, that is the exact right number that they should have for this scheme. So, And they also have very good roster uh, balance between the classes. So what they've done overall with their defense, actually quite impressive. And I feel like um, after they solidify some movement with their D-line, um, you know, maybe, you know, uh, take some of those spots and, and move them into some other places on the team, maybe on offense, I think then they'll be ex- in extremely good shape.
0: Great stuff there, Chris. Um, we know Kenny Dillingham said in his presser recently that he doesn't want to live in the spring portals, kind of kind of wants to avoid that. But if there's any areas uh, that he could improve upon and add a couple pieces here or there, is there any places in particular that you would point out where they could add some more some more pieces in depth?
1: Tight end for sure. Um, they brought a a visitor on campus last weekend who was a high school uh, player that they were looking at, uh, Jalen Roberts, um, and uh, Julian Roberts. Pardon me, and um, he ended up going to Tulsa. I think he just want, was nervous about the the veteran players that ASU had there and his pathway to playing time, which is a reasonable thing. I think one of the trends I think is going to emerge now is because of NIL, people want to make money playing and the ability to show what you can do at a lower level in your first year or two of college enables you to have more marketability uh in nil in in the transfer portal subsequently so that that's a factor but you tight end is where you have a lot of injuries and you need to tend to play more guys uh because you also have basically two different positions in terms of the utilization um for some guys can play both so but you really want to have five maybe even six tight ends they have four so i think that they could use another tight end they uh Ideally, you would want to have four, if not five quarterbacks on your roster at any given point on scholarship. They have three. And remember, there's a potential because Rashada and Levitt are in the same class. There's potential, not saying it's going to happen or likely to happen, but one of them could see, okay, I'm I lost this battle. And I'm not going to be the starter and therefore get skittish and decide they want to decide to try to go somewhere else for a playing opportunity. Well, then you're only down to two scholarship quarterbacks. So really, if you could get a third, another fourth right now, scholarship quarterback, if that's even possible, it might not be. That actually might not be a bad thing as well, particularly if it seems like one of those guys might, might be more inclined to depart. Um, But elsewhere, no, they're actually in, in in very good shape. Do you turn down an impact uh, receiver or a potential starting offensive lineman or a pass rusher from the portal if one becomes available to you in the spring? No, you don't. You make that work on your roster. But from a purely from a need standpoint, they are in, I would say, very good shape overall, but they could definitely use another tight end at a minimum.
0: Kind of touching back on the co- aspect of quarterback, looking ahead to ASU 2025, not too far away. Got four commitments right now, headlined by Michael Tolfson, uh from Southern California, a quarterback in that class, ASU, digging into the Southern California groove. Um, what are your thoughts on ASU's 2025 class thus far and uh, kind of w- what we're seeing there?
1: Well, this is, I think, the first class that, they're truly at their punching weight, uh, where they're going to be going up against toe to toe without being out muscled on a lot of these guys. Um, and that should be reflected in what would should be a better recruiting class ranking, particularly because they're going to be less heavily reliant on transfers as well. And they are off to a pretty good start. You mentioned it there. They're Ranked 20th by 24-7. They have Butter Tollison, is a good early quarterback commitment, top 40 quarterback prospect in the class nationally, somebody that you can use as a, as a pillar to build around. They got Toby, Toby Mueller. Um, he's one of the better uh, in-state offensive linemen, um uh ranked in the top 75 nationally among interior offensive linemen. They also got Matai. Jefferson from Bosco, uh, uh, Miller and Jefferson are both 340 plus pounds. So it continues that theme of them trying to get bigger at the point of attack, which is a big emphasis that Kane Dillingham and Sanga tu- uh, uh, Tuitelli have kind of wanted to have um, with that group. And then they also have Joseph Smith, who's a defensive back out of Texas, who is a top 100 recruit in the state of Texas, top 75 cornerback nationally. This is a very good start to a recruiting class. Um, they're, to put it in perspective, they're probably gonna ultimately wanna have 15 to 18 uh, prospects who are high school p- players in that class, or maybe, maybe a couple JUCO guys mixed in along with those 15 to 18. So uh, they're gonna add maybe a dozen-ish more Uh, over the course of the next full year. Uh, But but importantly, they're getting out to an earlier start because they've been recruiting these guys a lot longer. And that means that they should be able to get more of them on campus earlier. They have a good dynamic. The trust factor is high. They're kind of building all this stuff in. So they should be able to do a little bit better in Arizona recruiting. They should be able to do a little bit better in California, and they should even be able to do a little bit better in Texas, even though they've already done well in Texas because they have Brian Carrington and Rashad Samples re-signed to contract extensions. So those are their two top uh, Texas recruiters. And also now that they're in the big 12, there's a little bit more visibility into uh, ASU and the understanding that they're gonna be playing in Texas and or uh, closer to Texas uh, a lot more often uh, building into the future this year, they play at Texas State, followed by at Texas Tech, for example, back to back games in the fr- front half of their schedule. So that allows them to to do more uh, selling. And so I, I think that the overall what I've been doing this, you know, I've, I covered cutter staff. Erickson staff, Graham staff, Edwards staff, this staff, very closely from a recruiting standpoint, the trend that you typically see, Blake, is transitional year, starting to figure it out, plugs holes, second year, you're going to do better, it's going to, the trend line looks good. Third year, fourth year is when you usually have your best recruiting classes on average. And then what matters is, are you able to put enough wins in the win column Combined with enough resources and support from the administration, your boosters, everybody else, uh, to continue to propel that momentum forward by getting enough wins, which then allow you to sell what you're doing from a vision and culture standpoint to even a little bit higher tier of prospects. So, This now we're going into year three. They should do better with their recruiting class. They should continue to advance. They need to win more games. That's really the most important thing. And get an athletic director who properly supports their vision and resources what they need to have happen. And then Dillingham. And that athletic director and everyone else who has a a role in it continues to sell the messaging of what NIL means to ASU such that they can continue to get a higher caliber of overall recruit. Like Dillingham said, year one was just trying
0: to get something on the plate and now is trying to raise the standard each and every year to get ASU to where he wants it to be and where he is envisioning it will be in the future of the Big 12. Chris, thanks so much for your insight. Lots of great stuff here and more great stuff coming your way here in the coming weeks on sundevilsource.com. Make sure you are subscribed. We will have weekly uh, previews coming up on each position group heading into spring ball, as well as more detailed evaluations of each player. Thanks so much for tuning into this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Blake Demon. That's Chris Cartman. We'll see you all soon.